Let's go cruising in one of the most beautiful parts of the world, the Caribbean. Hello, I'm Gary Bembridge and this is Tips for Travellers, the global travel destination podcast. My travel reviews and recommendations based on the first-hand experiences I gain from the up to two to three times a month I travel all over the world. To find out more, you can visit the website at tipsfortravellers.com or mytravelreviews.com where you'll find links, show notes, how to subscribe, individual episodes and many photo and video galleries. It's now time for this episode of Tips for Travellers. Something like 60% of all cruises in the world today take place in the Caribbean. The next most popular destination is Alaska. I find the fact that the Caribbean so dominates the world of cruising quite staggering. In reality, it probably reflects more the history of cruising, which really grew and developed in the area, driven by companies like Carnival and Royal Caribbean, and also the extent to which cruising is still underdeveloped in other parts of the world. It's no wonder then that the building of ships seems to be almost frantic, with all the growth potential as cruising catches on in other parts of the world. The Caribbean cruise season runs from after the hurricane season from around September until March each year, and then the cruise ships are redeployed onto the Alaska route, or head off to Europe to ply the Mediterranean and Baltic in the summer in the Northern Hemisphere. Most of the Caribbean cruises are, and pretty much always have been, seven-day trips out of Florida, where ships alternate between a Western Caribbean and an Eastern Caribbean routing. This pattern ideally suits the USA vacation patterns, as most people in the States tend to have and take shorter holidays than other regions. So the seven-day pattern suits them. For those wanting two weeks vacations, then all they do is stay on the ship for two back-to-back cruises. The seven-day cruises tend to have one sea day to get to the island, visits to five islands, and then one sea day back to port. Now, the growth of popularity of cruising has, though, started to see many more USA ports offering Caribbean trips, and the area is by far the most popular part of the world for European cruise lines like Cunard, p and Costa, who tend to send their ships there during the European winter, or in the case of Cunard, in the period running up to the new year when it tends to be too rough and too cold for people to book on their famous transatlantic crossing trips and before they send their ships on their three-month round-the-world cruises which run from January to March. My most recent Caribbean cruise was part of what is called a repositioning cruise on the P&O ship Arcadia. Now as I've described there is a redeployment of ships especially to and from Europe before and after the main September to March Caribbean season. Most cruise lines doing this offer two-week trips, which consist of a week cruising around the Caribbean and a week crossing the the Atlantic. Now, these cruises tend to be very, very good value, as less people enjoy the long periods at sea and prefer schedules with lots of ports. My cruise also happened to coincide with the 200th anniversary of the abolition of slavery, which was timely, as travelling around the islands we visited Barbados, Grenada, St Lucia, St Kitts and Antigua, 
The one thing that did strike me as I learned more about the history of the Caribbean was that these stunningly beautiful islands were not only built on the back of slave labor, but also just how brutal and terrible the slave trade was. Behind the laid-back tone and startling beauty of the Caribbean is an unpleasant tale, with the British and French primarily squabbling and fighting over control, with indigenous Carib Indians being driven out and even massacred when required to take control of the islands. They then shipped in slaves from North Africa, mostly in horrific conditions, where many would perish on the trip. They were then sold in markets held in what are now picturesque and charming town squares. The slaves were required to work on the huge sugar plantations that soon covered most of the islands, with cruelty and force ensuring compliance. It's clear that the sugar plantation owners, all of whom were from Europe, grew wealthy on the practice and the sugar trade. But as the sugar trade declined, it also has left the islands largely underdeveloped, as the profits were shipped out and not invested into the place that created the money. This means now that the sugar industry has pretty much died, both due to declining popularity for sugar and also cheaper and more cost-effective crops like sugar beet, closer to the main markets, that the only real industry the Caribbean now has is tourism, and especially the cruise business. Now, depending on whose point of view you follow, or possibly where your political leaning is, the islands are either benefiting enormously from the cruise trade, or are being shortchanged and manipulated by the cruise industry that passes little of the financial benefits onto the islands. There is an interesting debate on this, and one I found made fascinating reading and gave me deeper insights about how the, and, and why the cruise industry works. On the one side of the debate are a series of interesting books by an author called Ross Klein, who wrote books like Cruise Ship Blues. And these books talk about how the industry plays islands off against each other to drive lower revenue for the island and more for themselves. For example, he talks about how cruise ships do not restock supplies and the, and the like on islands, but only in their home ports for the main. And that way they keep the bulk of revenues also from tours and, the, and such like. And that international firms own many of the chains in the new portside malls that have been built. Now, on the other side of the argument are the materials from the main cruise body called CLIA, C-L-I-A. Their site is cruising.org, and the organization talks about the money they, they spend on assisting with infrastructure and the overall benefits from the money passengers spend on shore. Either way, it makes for really interesting reading, and it's worth hearing both point of views. And in the show notes, I have links to the books and also to the CLIA site. But one thing that you cannot help to note on all of the islands is that they do overall seem fairly poor and underdeveloped. There are, of course, glitzy hotels, but these again seem to be owned and operated by the major chains, and of course they're an important employer of locals, but it is a pity that they, you don't see much more local enterprise on the islands. So despite these observations, what else struck me during my cruise around the five islands in five days? Now on this cruise we visited Barbados, admittedly briefly, as this is where we embarked. Grenada... St. Lucia, St. Kitts, and Antigua. I loved all of the islands. They're all so beautiful, and the beaches are glorious. In most cases, the people are welcoming and friendly, which is quite a feat when you consider they're subjected to waves of tourists during the cruise season in particular, asking the same questions and doing the same things. I have to admit, though, that one of the challenges of visiting so many islands in quick succession for one day on a cruise 
is they do kind of blend into each other as an overall Caribbean experience. So while beautiful, I did wonder if the islands have missed an opportunity to be more unique and distinctive. I'm sure that if you spend more time on it, you would get to understand and appreciate their distinctiveness. But the cruise experience does not do that justice. I'm embarrassed to admit that I think that if I was not an obsessive photo taker, and so have piles of images from everywhere, that I would not clearly be able to remember which island was which. Of course, the trip on the island I can associate and whatever I did on that island, but from the non-trip elements, from the port, walking around the town, it's where it starts to get less clear. This to me seems like a missed opportunity. Admittedly, the broad history of the islands is, is broadly similar. English and French fighting over them, largely English dominating, driving out the Caribbean locals, importing slaves to drive the sugar industry. But I do think that there is a way to find more uniqueness in the culture and the story of each island. But this is probably more of the marketing background of me coming out, as I'm not sure my fellow travellers thought as much about this. Now, the port areas are all now very similar, and this is a result, in most cases, of the original facilities being destroyed at the turn of the century coming into, into 2000 by hurricanes and being rebuilt to meet the needs of the current ship types and passengers in a more harmonious way. Disappointingly, though, most of the shops in these ports are also the same, with even the same chains, like the Diamond International chain, for example. And even the curio gift shops are stock full of largely similar merchandise, with the name changed. And much of the merchandise is made in China and even the UK, where most of the China items are made. At the risk of kind of going on, I did feel it was a pity, but it certainly saved me a, a, a lot of money because I didn't buy a lot of items on each island. Now, as a UK resident, visiting the islands has a lot of familiarity in a number of respects. So the cars, for example, drive on the left-hand side, and many of the street names and places are familiar names from the UK and UK history, so places like Piccadilly Circus, Nelson's Dockyard, etc. But there's no denying, though, that whatever observations and thoughts about similarities, the Caribbean and a cruise in this area is just a stunning experience. I adore the place. The islands are beautiful. The beaches and sea glorious, and the people on most of the islands, for the most part, are charming, welcoming, and surprisingly patient. Though I did notice that the more south the islands, the, the, the more laid back the people were, and the closer we got to the States, the more assertive. And I'm not sure if, if these islands just get more ships and passengers, and so the islanders have become more competitive with each other. But if you go on a classic Caribbean cruise with basically an island a day, it can be tiring experience as you'll be up early as the ships get in usually around 7am or 8am and then you're off on trips and set sail about 5pm or 6pm and then you still have the dinner, the shows and other activities in the evening to enjoy. And it can become a bit of a blur if you don't pace yourself. With the repositioning cruise we had a great balance as we had the busy five days at the start and then the five sea days to really relax. So, based on my experiences, what are my tips for travellers considering considering a Caribbean cruise. My first tip is to check out my Tips for Travellers First Time Cruiser podcast. I also made a podcast a while ago and have a blog entry for First Time Cruisers now based on the five or so cruises that I've done to date and things that I've learned from others before I went and of course from my own experiences. I've updated some of the content tips 
as I went on my Caribbean cruise with two first-timers. And so that was very helpful in updating the tips. You can find a link on the podcast and blog entry on this via my website, tipsfortravelers.com, if you remember, tips for travelers, all one word, and travelers spelled the UK way with two L's. So on the site, you just click on the link to the audio podcast, and you'll see the podcast and link listed there. And these tips really just are kind of the process to go through as you think about cruising and, and common questions asked. My second tip is to choose your cruise line carefully. With so many cruise brands, you need to choose who you visit the Caribbean with very carefully, as it could really make or break your cruise experience. While most of the USA-based cruise lines operate extensive schedules to the Caribbean now, not only out of Miami and Fort Lauderdale, but multiple ports, including now even New York, there is a lot of choice. But also, all of the European cruise lines also operate Caribbean schedules from September to March when they reposition their ships into the area during the European winter as it's too cold to run a Mediterranean schedule. Now, cruise lines tend to be quite nationalistic about where they promote and so attract the bulk of their passengers from their home countries. Now, this is one thing to consider as most seem to therefore have the very vast majority of their passengers from their home countries. So, for example, the piano ship I was almost definitely about 99% UK passengers. Italian lines like MSC and Costa will be the majority Italian, and of course Carnival mostly Americans. Now this also means that the entertainment, onboard games and quizzes, talks and the like, will all be heavily slanted towards the home country of the ship. So make sure you're prepared for that. It also does, though, give you an opportunity to be a bit more adventurous. Most US cruisers using local agents or responding to local placed ads will tend to be considering only US cruise lines, forgetting that there are a load of other options that they may actually find a bit more varied or or different. It's also important to choose carefully based on how formal you like your cruise to be. While all lines, including even the most formal line, Cunard, will have a more relaxed schedule of how many formal, informal and casual nights they have on their Caribbean season, those that have strict dress code will enforce it. So if you're on a Cunard or say one of the UK lines like P&O, you will be expected to wear formal on those nights and you will not be allowed into the dining room without it. While other lines may be less strict, for example MSC, that friends travelled on more or less the same time, found that maybe 30% of people wore formal on formal nights and the line just didn't seem to mind. If you like things very relaxed, then choose the more fun ships like Ocean Village or those with the, the more what they call free, freestyle approaches. If you don't like hordes of kids that come on Caribbean cruises, also choose carefully. Some of the European lines like P&O have adult-only ships operating in the Caribbean. My third tip, and this is probably one of the most important ones, is to approach and use the cruise as a taster for a land-based vacation. As I mentioned in my opening, one of the risks with the rather frantic port-to-port schedule is that some of the islands can start to blur a bit into each other. So while you get an overall Caribbean experience, which is of glorious weather, glorious islands, glorious beaches and the like, it is harder to get the time to really appreciate an island other than get a taste for what could be on offer. So when I approach the cruise with exactly this in mind, I recommend use a cruise literally as a sampler platter where you go with a view to returning for a specific land-based trip to one or maybe two of the islands for a week at each. So use the visits to choose an excursion that you think will give the best sample of the kind of things or activities that you would like for a longer trip. So if you like beaches, then do that. 
you like walks, then do those. If you like activity sports, then do those. If you like history, do the excursions like that, and so on and so on. A cruise where you're visiting islands back-to-back will provide an excellent way to help choose the right and best island to visit at a later stage. I know on this trip, for example, from the islands we visited, I know I want to go back to Barbados again, but Grenada and St. Kitts are on the must-go-back-and-spend-some-more-time list. While I was pleased to see St. Lucia and Tigo, I don't feel they are what I want to spend more time um, on. This cruise really, really helped in that regard. On that front, also watch carefully what your cruise line defines as a stop and an island. Some cruise lines include stops at what they call private islands, which are basically small islands with a beach that they stop at, haul some food onto, and, and that's it. My fourth tip is about self-exploring versus cruise line arranged excursions. Now, the easiest thing to do is simply go through the excursion list provided by the cruise line and choose one for each port stop. Now, every cruise line has a wide range of tools on offer at each port, and mostly are usually sold out. They know what people like overall through doing these stops over and over again. Although I do sometimes wonder if the tours they list are sold out more through the inertia we all have, as as assuming that you know we all assume that we have to choose one of the things on offer to do while in port. Now, staying on board while in some ports is probably a, a much underused option as well. The ship is usually very empty and quiet when in port, as almost all passengers will get off for some or all the day on an excursion. Even a large amount of the crew will get off to go shopping and just have a break from their confined living space on board. It means the pools, the spas and other activities are less crowded and busy. Now, you're unlikely to want to stay on board every port as you must see new places, although Friends of mine came back from a 60-night Caribbean Atlantic crossing with stops in Europe, only getting off in one port. Now, they were the exception, as they would stay up all night partying and use days to sleep and recover. But if you do have a hectic port-every-day cruise, do build in some days. You don't have something booked, uh, just to take it easy and and, and as a relaxed day. Now, based on my experiences of cruising, I think there are at least three approaches you should consider. The first is start by looking at the excursion booklet sent by the cruise line. This will give you a good overview of the sorts of activities that are popular and the range of things that can be done. You get a good feel if there is a rich history to be explored, if it's an activities area and so on. You also get an idea of the sort of prices that tours in that port will cost and the time and distances involved. For the islands, you know, they're not that large um, as most islands are, 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 you know, are pretty small. And so, but you can just decide at least the kind of things that appeal. The second kind of link to that is remember that there's no rule requiring you to only go on cruise line organized tours. You should consider options. There's an excellent site called shortrips.com that was set up by two travel agents who spent literally years identifying and validating tours on most of the islands. The tours on their site can be booked and paid for and they meet you at the ship. They argue that uh, you will tend to find their tours will have smaller numbers of people on them or you can even book some exclusively. They will cost less as the cruise lines take larger margin on, on tours. And also will have local people with huge local knowledge. Now, people on cruise boards who have used the, the site are, have been very, very complimentary. And they also offer more tours, taking you for longer and more relaxing tours to beauty spots, beaches, and the like. So I'll put a link in the, in the, on the blog and on, on, on the show notes, again, which you can find through tipsfortravelers.com. Um, That's shortrips.com. Then linked to that, thirdly, is, is then which is what I mostly ended up doing, is do it myself. This is a very easy and underappreciated option. The islands are small. They're used to dealing with tourists who are in and out in a day. 
and the places to go are all well known and well documented. Now all cruise lines provide free shuttle buses into the town centre. The dock is not in the centre. And in fact, for most of the Caribbean stops, they are. And all the islands take US dollars everywhere. And so there's no confusion about prices. And there are always water or road taxis on hand and at the tourist spots. There are also always visitor stands or shops at the dock to get maps or other options. And this way you're in control and importantly can spend as little or as long as you want at your chosen spot. I also like this option as then you're talking to local peeping people and getting more of a feel for the place. Now on, on this cruise, it's taking me minutes literally to double check online the places we wanted to go um, through the reviews and on tripadvisor.com and also just simply by searching photos um, on sites like flickr.com, F-L-I-C-K-R.com. My first set of tips are really around some very specific um, tips related to, to the islands that I visited. Barbados. I've got a whole podcast and blog posting about Barbados with very detailed tips and advice. And the show notes on my site, tipsfortravelers.com, will include a link to that podcast and tips. But there's loads and loads of stuff to do on Barbados. They're great beaches. I think probably if you're on a cruise, St. Lawrence Gap is probably the easiest area to go to as it has lots of, uh, lots of you know, beach areas, but also has a road kind of parallel to it full of bars and shops and places to eat. Now, the nicer and more upmarket resorts in Barbados are on the west of the island, and there's some, some nice public beaches near Holtown, for example. But actually, bear in mind, you can go to any beach on the island because right throughout the Caribbean, um, there's no private beaches. Anyone can use any beach. Now, if you prefer sightseeing, go on a tour that includes Harrison's Caves, and, and it also goes to the high spot of the island. Bridgetown itself, which is kind of where you dock, is worth a stroll, though it's not worth allocating a lot of time to. But do visit Trafalgar Square and Nelson's statue, even for the novelty factor, as, of course, Nelson's column and statue are in Trafalgar Square in London. If you're visiting Grenada, my view is that this should be a beach or water day, as the sea and beaches here are just stunning. Now, the lovely Grand Ansi Beach, which is spelled A-N-S-E, now this can be reached by water taxis, which are right there at the dock. They charge a couple of US dollars to take you there. I think it's about $3 a, a per person. You get a great view of the ship in port as you whiz round them, great views of the island, and the, the, the Grand Ansi Beach is really, really nice. Now, there are what seem to be concessions on the beach where for a stretch, you know, one set of peop people can rent chairs and umbrellas. I think it's about $20 for two people. And they also offer drinks and they have food for sale. Now, if you chat to the water taxi guys, um, you know, kind of on the way there, on the way back, they will tell you the history of the island, about the coups that have taken place there, about the American invasion and about the hurricanes. So they give you a great oversense, you know, oversense overview of, of the history of the island. Now, after the beach, go out. Um, the shopping mall at the docks, turn right, and then go through the tunnel, which was built in about the 1890s or thereabouts. And you go into a lovely bay area, which has really lovely, charming old architecture, some bars. It has all the fishing boats kind of dock in there, and it's very, very nice. Now, there is a narrow-gauge railway which, which covers this island and was used to, to carry, um, came from the fields. And it's a very popular um, tour where, but, you know, most people say it's not really worth the time or, or the money. Now, in St. Lucia, um, we went to a day at the Sandals Resort. It's a very popular um, tour. And I, I, would, I would actually encourage you to avoid it. They're pretty run down, in my view. And the beaches that they're on don't seem that great, the ones in St. Lucia anyway. It seems the best thing to do here in St. Lucia is just go to one of the more popular beaches or go on one of the round the, the island, island tours. St. Kitts. 
there are two great things to do uh, in St. Kitts. If you like activity, go on a bike tour. Now, this lasts the morning or, or actually the afternoon, and, and it's quite strenuous. Um, as the island is, is pretty hilly, but, but you actually get to see the most beautiful scenery you can imagine, and you also get to learn about the sugar trade as well. The tour also takes you to look at Frigate Bay and across to the, the sister island of Nevis, and, and then you go to the beach for, for a swim in the most, just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sea. Now, the other option on St. Kitts, a um, very popular option, is to take the helicopter tour to the now devastated island of, of Montserrat. Now, the volcano eruption of a few years back saw lava flowing at up to 100 miles an hour, and the whole place was evacuated. And you can actually see the submerged kind of airport and other amazing sites. This is a very popular tour, and obviously it's kind of limited, so you need to book very early for this. And this, you know, also in St. Kitts, and probably a much more extensive narrow-gauge railway, um, it's, it's something that's sold very hard, and most people say it's just a boring trip. But anyway, I didn't do it, but that's the feedback I got. Now on Antigua. Now Antigua, as an island, boasts that it, it has a different beach, that you can visit every day, you know, 365 uh, beaches. So without a show of doubt, Antigua should really also be a beach day. Now, all the beaches in the Caribbean are public, as I mentioned earlier, and so you can, can, in theory, go to anyone you want. Now, the best beach, in my view, and also looking at stuff online, is Dickinson Beach. It's about a 10, 15-minute cab ride, which costs you about 6 to 8 US dollars. The beach is, is long, it's in a large bay with sand, and it looks and you know, looks and feels like powder. It's it's just quite remarkable, and the sea is very brilliant. It's it's not as clear as the more southern islands in the Caribbean, but it is stunning. There are many small bars that sell food and places to hire boats, kayaks, and, and other water sports. So that's my tips for people considering a cruise to the Caribbean. Check out my tips for travelers first time cruiser podcast. Make sure you choose your cruise line very carefully. Thirdly, you know, approach it, the cruise as a taster for a, a follow-up land-based vacation. I've had lots of tips around self-exploring versus cruise line arranged excursions, and I really encourage you to think much more of the self-exploring or the alternative to the cruise lines. I have some very specific island recommendations, but really do consider, as you've seen from many of them, many of them is about getting out there, talking to the people, and really experiences the experiencing the beaches you've been listening to tips for travelers the global travel destination podcast a new destination with first-hand based advice recommendations and tips is added each month if you subscribe to the podcast thanks for your support if you don't you may want to consider subscribing by searching tips for travelers or gary beverage on itunes or your favorite podcast directory You can then subscribe to the Tips for Travelers Global Travel Destination audio podcast or the video podcast with hotel rooms and attractions. To find out more, visit tipsfortravelers.com, where travelers is spelled the UK way with two L's, or email me at gary at mytravelreviews.co.uk.